All right, good morning. Welcome to our ninth week being scattered together. Uh, we're going to come to this time in our scattered gatherings now. We're going to look at a passage from God's Word. We're going to talk about what it means, why it matters, and what we should do about it. So if you have a Bible there with you, Bible app, whatever it is, would you open it up to our passage, Ephesians chapter 4, beginning at verse 17 now. And we're going to conclude the chapter today. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning at verse 17. Find that with me, and then I will read this passage for us. Paul says this. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away all falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as is, fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us quickly and just ask God's blessing on this time and his word and then we'll dig in here. The Spirit of God, the Spirit who has sealed us for the day of redemption, we ask you now to speak powerfully through this word. God, I ask by the power of your spirit that every heart and ear and mind be opened to, to hear and receive what it is you want to say to us through your word this morning. I'm asking for just a powerful working today through this message, God, not through any power or strength of mine, but through yours. Accomplish the purpose for which you've sent out this word, God, and each and every one who hears it. And as I always ask now, eternal God, would you move and govern my tongue to speak your truth. Amen. It was January 1st, 1863, when then U.S. President Abraham Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation first took effect, declaring this, that all slaves in the states currently engaged in rebellion against the Union shall be then, thenceforward, and forever free. Now, another two years would go by, and the Civil War would actually be over before the 13th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution was passed, abolishing slavery and involuntary servitude nationwide. But just, like, just think about this. Try to imagine, as much as is possible for any of us anyway, try to imagine the experience 
of what that felt like, either for those slaves affected by, down in the south by Lincoln's first proclamation, or, or, or all slaves after the constitutional amendment in 1865. Imagine what that felt like, just knowing a process had been undertaken such that now your whole status, your whole identity had been officially, legally, and, and radically transformed from a slave to free. Totally changed now from, from someone who had no status socially at that point in history. You're, you're oppressed, constantly living in fear, to now being someone with legal, government-sanctioned human rights, able to live and operate now in a way that you never would have thought imaginable. What, what, what does that feel like? But now imagine, as Welsh preacher Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones so powerfully illustrated out of this particular period in American history, although you might know that this change is legally true now, it's happened, president has said so, although you know it's legally true, imagine how it is that your heart is still tempted to respond only just a few years later when you go into town one day and a white person begins yelling at you. You might know in your head in that moment, like, hey, wait a minute, I've got, I've got some rights here now. You can't do that. And yet, still the instinctive response first is, is fear. It's still to respond in that sl same slave mindset from before. Why? Well, because that's all you've ever known for so much of your life. And your patterns of thinking, really what it is, your pattern of thinking is not yet caught up with your reality. Or imagine uh, uh, Dr. Russell Moore recounts this story about the, the adoption of two young brothers years past from an orphanage in Russia. Although they had been legally adopted, they'd been brought home to a, a whole new safe, loving home with a mother and a father that with all the rights and privileges as sons, Dr. Moore still notes this. He says, we only knew the boys had acclimated to our home, that they trusted us when they stopped hiding food in their high chairs. They knew there would be another meal coming, and they wouldn't have to fight for scraps. So we are continuing this morning in our teaching series to the book of Ephesians, looking at the incredible plan of God and the fullness of time to unite all things in heaven and on earth together in himself through the reconciling work of Jesus' death and resurrection. But as we've been saying for the last two weeks now, uh, as we've been turning the page from Ephesians 3 to Ephesians 4, we're looking at how Paul's transitioning now from talking about God's plan to the implications of that plan. So we, in the first part of chapter 4 that we've been looking at, verses 1 through 16, we looked at Paul's description of what it looks like to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called, and, and God's guidelines of how it is that we do that. Now in our passage today, actually finishing out chapter 4, Paul focuses here on, on our new transformed identity as adopted sons and daughters of God and what needs to happen in order to live out that reality. Which if you've been a Christian for more than five minutes, even you know already is something incredibly important, not just to know, but that we need to be continually reminded of. Because here's the thing, just like those emancipated slaves living in the Civil War era or those two adopted Russian toddlers in Dr. Moore's home, so with us. Although the reality for all who are in Christ is that our identity, our status has been officially, legally, and radically altered by the efforts of another on our behalf, 
Our, our ingrained, our deeply rooted mindset is still so often to operate and live according to our former spiritually enslaved mindset. Which means what needs to change in order for us to live according to our new identity in Christ is not for the reality of it to change, but rather how it is that we think about that reality. The reality of who you are in Christ, that doesn't change. What needs to change is how you think about that reality. For what Paul is going to show us in our passage today is that the more our minds, the more our thinking is transformed and renewed to, to really accept, to really grasp the, the fullness and the immensity of all that's been accomplished for us in Christ, the more we will live in light of that reality in a way that brings glory to God and allows us to experience the fullness of life that God created us to enjoy. And what we're going to look at together here in this passage is the way Paul shows us, the way Paul says renewed thinking leads to renewed living. Renewed thinking is what leads us to renewed living. Okay, so if you've closed your Bible, you closed your app, whatever it is, can you open that up again to this passage? I want you to follow along with me as we go through this. Ephesians 4 Beginning in verse 7, turn there with me as Paul now unpacks how we can more and more live in light of our new identity in Christ. Okay, so let's look first of all at what Paul has to say about really our primary need for renewed thinking. Renewed thinking. Look with me first of all at these first few verses, beginning with verse 17. Paul says this, Now I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. So already, already Paul is talking about the mind, right? Talking about patterns of thinking there in verse 17 that lead to patterns of living. Describing the mind of the Gentiles, that is, those who are alienated from the life of God, like he says in verse 18, as futile. Their minds are futile, by which he means basically, like, pointless. They, they, they are, they're not able to accomplish the goal that they set out to accomplish. It's, that's, it's futile, which, as one commentator noted, is not at all to imply, like, a lack of knowledge or education, but only that any pursuit of the fullness of life outside of a, a reconciled relationship with God is ultimately only going to lead to either disappointment or to experiencing as little of life's fullness as you know how to hope for. That's all it can ultimately lead you to. So it's, it's futile. And as Paul says at the end of verse 18 and into verse 19, this futility of thinking isn't a result of lack of opportunity to know God, but of a hardness of heart. That's, that's what res, the result is. It's the hardness of heart, a callousness towards the things of God, that results in living in a way that is destructive, both destructive to themselves as well as to others. I love what Clinton Arnold uh, says here uh, as it relates to these verses, noting this. He says, this portrayal is not hyperbole. Paul is not depicting every unbeliever as an axe murderer. He's simply making the theological point that apart from a connection to Christ, all people are self-oriented, not God-oriented. Or as we've been learning to say in these this last year's series, all, everyone is instinctively curved inward on themselves. 
But you notice, following immediately out of that description, Paul writes this in verse 20. He says, but this is not the way that you learned Christ. Meaning, at least, the way someone develops a non-futile way of thinking is not necessarily through education, but it's through having our hearts open to God. That's that's how we develop non-futile ways of thinking. As N.T. Wright says, he says, this isn't a matter of university degrees and paper qualifications, helpful though they may be. It's a matter of the heart and mind being open to an even wider range of insight and imagination that comes with learning the king. I like that. And the way we learn the king or the way we learn Christ, which almost (laughs) kind of makes... Jesus sounded like a second language, like, oh, you're learning French right now? No, I'm learning Jesus. I'm learning Christ. But I don't know. Actually, when you think about that, this idea of learning Jesus almost like a way of a second language and learning to speak like him and be like him and think differently like him the same way when you're learning a language, that's kind of a cool concept and way to think about it. But that's another message. Listen, the, the way we learn Christ, according to this passage here, we see in verse 21. Look with me there. He says, we we hear about him, so the the gospel message is is preached to us. We are taught in the way of Jesus, in in a a loving, supportive, authentic Christian community. And then we come to see him, eventually, by God's grace, through faith, we see him as the way, the truth, and the life that Jesus revealed himself to be. And then the incredible transforming result of that openness of heart to God, then we see in verses 22 through 24, which is actually the heart of this passage here. So what I want to do is I want to read these verses here, and then we'll just take a little bit of time to unpack them. Look at what Paul says is the result of this openness of heart. Assuming, he says, verse 21, that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in him. Now into verse 22. To put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Okay, so there's a few things going on here that we actually miss in our English translations of the Bible, but that are really helpful in understanding the fullness of what Paul's getting at here. The first is this idea that we see in verses 22 and 24 of putting off something and putting on something. What he's talking about there is putting off our old nature, putting off our old self that, that, be, that we had before we were reconciled through Christ, and then putting on our new self putting on this whole new identity, this whole new free identity when we begin a relationship with Jesus. The language is very much of like clothing, of like putting off, removing an old, ragged, soiled garment, however comfortable and familiar those things can sometimes be to us, and putting on beautiful, brand new, perfectly fitting clothes. That's what the language is meant to help us see here. But, But here's the thing we miss in most of our English Bibles, when Paul talks about putting off and putting on these clothes, spiritually speaking, he uses a verb tense in the Greek called the errorist. The errorist. Now, you don't need to understand Greek grammar necessarily, but you need to know simply that that verb tense is used to communicate a single completed action in the past. So, which means putting off and putting on it's something that's already happened in the past. Now, that's important for us to know, right? Because otherwise, if we think that putting off and putting on something is something that we're supposed to do presently in order to become Christians, in order to become reconciled with God, as opposed to a description of something that's already happened in the past, then it's, we're going to end up striving, working really hard to accomplish something that 
God has already accomplished for us. Which, listen, that's not at all to say that there's not lots of times in our lives where we're, we're tempted to live according to that old futile way of thinking and living. Yet we, we are. That, that's, that's what we're talking about here. But what verse 22 and 24 are calling us to do is, is not to create the new identity, but a reminder that we already have that new identity if we're in Christ. It's already completed. It's done. Don't try striving to earn it. It's, it's already a true reality. One of the simplest evidences that that's what Paul's getting at is when we remember that what Paul writes there at the beginning of verse 17, to no longer walk as the Gentiles do, to remember that he's writing that to Gentiles. How does that even work? How do you write to Gentiles and say, hey, don't walk like those Gentiles do? The only way that's even possible is if that reality that Paul described in chapter 2 and verse 15 of this whole new reality, this whole new humanity that's created out of Jews and Gentiles through the reconciling work of God is something that's actually come about. That's the only way he can write this to Gentiles and have this make sense. But if you look at, look at verse 23 with me now, you see that sandwiched between these two identity-shaping realities that have already been completed in the past, there's a present tense command, okay? So something that, that we are to do presently and continually, and it's namely to be renewed in the spirit of our mind. That's what verse 23 says. That's the present tense command, something we are to continually do, be renewed in the spirit of our minds. And this is key, particularly as it relates to the problem of living in light of our new reality, because as I mentioned as we began this morning, particularly, uh, like, it's, 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 it's our default tendency. So often, just like that emancipated slave, just like that, those adopted children, it, our, our default tendency so often is to go back and live according to our old familiar identities. Why? Well, particularly as a new Christian, but really throughout the Christian life, we go back so often to that familiar reality because that's the reality we're most familiar with. That's what we're so used to operating according to. Listen, especially when life gets hard. We just default to the old way of thinking so often, our, our spiritually enslaved mindset. I, I don't know a Christian alive right now who isn't at least tempted in times of feeling stressed, of feeling hurt, of feeling lonely, of feeling out of control to want to return to the coping mechanisms of our old identity before Jesus saved us. Paul's point back in verse 17 was, listen, don't forget. Don't forget that that was a futile way of thinking and living. Remember, it never helped you to actually accomplish the things that you were so wanted so badly. Remember that. What you need instead, that's what Paul's saying. What's actually going to help is to have your thinking renewed. You need to think differently. You need your thought patterns rewired so that you begin to see your new reality as a redeemed child of God more and more to see that as the truest reality of your life. Only then, says Paul, will you be able to more and more consistently know and choose that the fullness of life that Jesus has now created in you and that he created you and experienced and he told you he came to give you more and more both now in this life as well as in the eternal life to come. It's only in having your thinking renewed. It's exactly as Paul wrote back in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. He said, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And actually in both those verses, 23 and back in Romans 12, that word renew means this. It's something being reestablished in a like new or even improved manner. 
That's what he means by the word renew. And, and, it's being, and being renewed is presented also as something that's done to us. Something that we receive. You know, it's the language he says there. It says, be renewed. Be transformed in our minds. Which actually is, is really, really great news. Because I don't know about you, but just being told to just change the way you think. When I have such a deeply ingrained way of thinking differently for so long in my life, that's not actually encouraging or comforting news. I just think differently. No, it's, it's far more hopeful. It's far more life-giving to be told that this act of renewing is something that the Spirit of God is, is doing increasingly for us as we grow in our knowledge of Christ and as we become more deeply rooted and grounded in His love. It's something He's doing, renewing us to a like new or even improved form. So here's what I want you to do. Just as we try to apply this to our own life, think about your own life right now. And maybe you don't feel comfortable sharing this with someone else right now. That's fine. But listen, please, at least be honest with yourself. At least be honest with yourself and ask yourself, when the ground falls out from under your feet, when the, the whole world feels like it's flipped upside down, which, listen, this whole global pandemic is just one example of a thousand. Thousands of different ways we can feel like that. Like, think about it. When, when friends act like enemies. When, when patience is, is redlining. When being honest is incredibly costly. When you feel like nobody understands all of what you're carrying right now. In those circumstances, when you're feeling that way, where are you tempted to go to find comfort in those moments? Where do you know instinctively... I'm seeing it in my own mind. Where do you go? Where are those places that you're tempted to go immediately that relate to your old mindset? What old familiar ways of thinking call out to you so loudly, promising you a relief that you know they can't ultimately offer? I'll just share with you myself. Like like when I think about my my life before I knew Jesus, my life in the past, my, my own tendency was whenever I was fearful, whenever I felt like I had done something wrong. I felt like I was going to say something that was going to disappoint somebody, make them angry with me, maybe make them want to leave or, or reject me. Uh, my instinctive mode was I need to change the truth. I need to, I need to lie to that person. I need to tell them whatever that they need to hear so that they won't leave, so that they won't be mad at me, won't, won't, won't make them think less of me, whatever it is. That was my default response. It, 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 it helped in the moment. I mean, it certainly didn't fix anything. It never Never left me feeling truly accepted, but I mean, at least in the moment, it, it, it kept the peace, kept that person there. But that was my old, that was my old self. That was who I was before I knew Jesus. But listen, in those moments of stress, when I'm telling my wife something, when I'm telling somebody something that I know they don't want to hear, that's going to make them disappointed, that's going to make them up, maybe angry with me, my temptation can still be to live according to that old self. Still acting toward that old, spiritually enslaved self. And I need to fight against that in that moment. And the hope of this passage here, the hope of what Paul is trying to present here, the, the, the great hope of it is that according to God's word here, the, the, the way to get out of that, the way to truly be renewed, is not just in trying harder. It's not trying to white-knuckle renewed behavior, just like, oh, no, lying's bad. Don't lie. You shouldn't lie. You don't want to be like those liars, do you? You, you, want, you want to be someone to tell us the truth. That's not the hope. The hope is in being renewed in the spirit of my mind. I need to think differently. I need to be reminded that's not who I am anymore. What's already true of me, 
Because I'm free. I am accepted. I am treasured, a deeply loved child of God. And you see, as I see that more, as, as my truest reality, as I listen to the voice of, of who God has made me to be more and more, and I trust that more, I find in living according to it that the security, the, the hope, the, the acceptance, the love that, that I used to look for in all those futile places can actually truly be found now in a joy. But it needs renewed thinking. I need to truly believe who God has made me to be now, that that's truly who I am. And as your thinking becomes renewed more and more by trusting the reality of your new identity, which, listen, ultimately, it's nothing more than believing that what God says is true about you is actually true. The more that happens, only then can you truly live out that new identity. For as I said when we began this morning, renewed thinking is what leads to renewed living. Renewed living. And, and, and you need to understand that order renewed thinking leading to renewed living you need to know that order otherwise you're going to look at these contrasts of old self and new self behavior that paul's going to list in these next verses and just like we did back with verse 22 and 24 if you if you don't get the order right you're going to see these new self behaviors as a means of attaining your new identity instead of listen being the results of your new identity that's already yours and maybe you want to ask, well, listen, who cares? What's the difference? If the behavior in the end is the same, what difference does it make how you get there? Well, great question. Tell you what, let, let's, let's look through these contrasts that Paul lists in verse 25 to 32. Look through the contrast, old self, new self, behavior. And then we'll just talk for a minute about why it's so important that your pattern of thinking is renewed before you seek to live according to these renewed behaviors, this renewed pattern of living. So look at them with me. Verse 25, Paul talks about not lying to one another. Uh, verse 26 and 27, he tells us not to sin in our anger by holding grudges. Verse 28, he speaks of not stealing from one another. Verse 29, he, lists, uh, uh, he tells us to speak in ways that, that don't tear down other people. But that give, and then verse, uh, verse 31, he includes a short listing of self-focused, self-protective ways that we are not to act towards one another. And as I said just a minute ago, along with each old self-behavior, Paul then lists a new self-behavior that is meant to replace that old self-behavior. Now that once we've been renewed, these new self-behaviors are to replace them. But if you look closely through each of those contrasting behaviors, you'll notice two things. First of all, Paul presents each new self-behavior as being rooted in our new self-identity. One of the examples of that you see explicitly there, look in verse 25. When Paul tells us not to lie to one another, he says, do that because we are members of one another. Referring to the household of God, which we as new creations in Christ are now a part. So he roots these new behaviors in our new identity. And secondly, Paul also roots each new self-behavior in the motivation that he called us to back in verse 3 of chapter 4 that we are to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And where you see that is in verse 30 of our passage here, where Paul speaks of living according to our old, futile ways of thinking as, quote, grieving the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. 
There's a whole lot that we could, a whole lot that we could say about that, actually. But as it relates to renewed living, Paul is saying when we don't live according to our new identity, those old self behaviors, what they do is actually they destroy, they they disrupt, they tear down the unity of the spirit that we are commanded to maintain. And Paul's saying when we do that, when we act against what the the purpose of the spirit is, what he created, it grieves him. We, we grieve, we sadden the Holy Spirit, actually, when we act in ways that tear apart the unity that he works to create in us. But do you see it now? In each of those behaviors, if, if, if they are rooted in our new sealed identity, which require our renewed thinking to see and believe is actually true of us, you need that first. So if I seek to just switch the order try to see to like renew my thinking by living in renewed behavior, suddenly it leaves us no longer able to live in this renewed way. Not truly. Why? Well, because we're carrying out these behaviors to try to achieve a new identity, which we don't actually believe is true. Instead of carrying them out on the basis of this is true of me, so I need to act in accordance with who I truly am. Totally different motivation. And, and, and it's a mistake you can easily see the results of if, you've, if you apply it to that historical situation that we talked about when we began. Think about this. Uh, a, a freed, emancipated slave who's seeking to live in accordance with his or her new identity. That's a whole different situation than a slave that's not free, seeking to live as though they were with the idea that if they can just act free well enough, that they will be. Do you see the difference? One is acting out of identity that's actually already true. One is seeking to create the identity by just acting free. And it doesn't, it doesn't work like that. And when you apply this to your life and mine today, hopefully you can see for yourself now why how you get to renewed behavior is as important as the renewed behavior itself. Because when my thinking is renewed and I'm seeing my new identity in Christ as more and more, I'm seeing that as my truest reality then I'm able to increasingly silence. I'm able to block out those voices that are calling me back to that old way of living. I can be like, no, that's not who I am anymore. I know what my identity is increasingly, so I don't live according to those old patterns. But when I see living according to these new self-behaviors as a means of renewing my thinking about something that I don't know is actually already true of me, I end up falling into at least one of two traps. First trap is I become prideful. I can become proud when I do live according to those new behaviors. Imagining that my ability to live according to these new self-behaviors is the thing that is earning me and bringing about my new identity, which is the exact kind of futile thinking that the Pharisees in Jesus' day fell into. This idea that I'm earning God's acceptance by, by obeying the rules well enough. Or the other option is I become bitter and despairing when I can't. That's, that's usually more often the case. When as hard as I try, I can't live according to those new self-behaviors. And I begin to believe that because I can't live according to those new self-behaviors well enough, that means the new life in Christ is something I'll never achieve. It's not possible. I mean, it's not for people like me. Which is the exact kind of futile, futile thinking that the rich young ruler fell into. When he walked away sad, when Jesus said, sell all you have and come follow me. He thought, well, I guess I can't follow the rules well enough. I guess I can't have the new identity. I can't have this 
eternal life. So listen, if you find yourself struggling either to live according to the new self-behaviors or to stop living according to those old self-behaviors, the solution in almost every case, if the Bible is right here, is not in trying harder. It's not in putting in a greater effort to change your behaviors. In fact, the solution is not to focus on your behavior at all, but rather to focus on your new identity. Focus on your new identity. That's that's what can truly make the change. For it's only as you're understanding, as you're thinking about who you already are, who you truly are in Christ becomes increasingly real to you, that you will, that, that that the renewed behavior, these renewed behaviors, this is just a small sampling, that those will begin to flow increasingly with increasing regularity out of it. Because understanding, if this is what's true of me, it, 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 the, the, new, the renewed behavior flows out of it. Trying to receive the renewed identity by living according to renewed behaviors is never going to get you there. It's only as our thinking is changed. So we stop thinking in those futile ways and begin to have our thinking renewed, transformed to the place where we believe and trust our new identity. This really is true of me. He really has done this to me, and it's life-changing. In another well-known verse that Paul wrote about renewed thinking as well as renewed living that relates to our our new identity in Christ is what we see written in Galatians 2.20. Maybe that's a, a verse that you've memorized over the course of your life where Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Hear this transformed thinking. It's a whole new life now, a whole new start. We're thinking about what Paul said earlier in verse 20 of our passage about learning Christ. How we learn Christ and that shapes our thinking and our identity. Jesus himself told us in John 8, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Truly, truly I say to you. Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Do you hear what Jesus is saying to you right there? Are you you listening to what God says is true about you now? You are now, if you are in Christ, you are loved. You are free. You are forgiven. You are accepted. That's what's true of you now. Are you listening to what the Spirit of God is saying to you, what is true of you now for those of you who are in Christ, and allowing that to renew your thinking more and more, to really believe and accept that that really is true of you? Are you listening to God's Spirit as He cries out to you? See, I think the problem is for too many of us, we're listening to so many other things. We're listening to other people. We're listening to our our past mistakes. Worst of all, we're listening to our former slave master to tell us who we are instead of listening to the one who made us new, the one who made us free. We're not listening to him. We're listening to all these other voices. But the profound hope of this passage for all who are in Christ is both to remind you of who you truly are now that you have put off that old self. You have put on the new self. This is who you truly are. To remind you, hey, that's happened. It's done. Start living in light of that new reality. And the other hope of this passage is to call you to continually strive by his power that is at work within you to renew the spirit of your mind. Renew 
your thinking so that you might believe that new reality and live according to it with greater and deeper, more powerful, like life-shaping assurance. You know, when it comes to real-life examples of what this looks like, I guess outside of Scripture, real-life examples of what this looks like to live out this renewed living, as our thinking about our new identity becomes increasingly renewed, I can think of no greater example than the life from the life of St. Augustine. If you've ever read his uh, well-known classic autobiography, The Confessions, you'll know that as a young man, I mean, Augustine was something of a playboy. Right? He was just profoundly lustful, promiscuous man. That, that, that's, that's who he was before Jesus saved him. But as his testimony goes, years later after his conversion, he was passing through a town that he had not been in for some time. And there as he passed through, he came upon one of his former mistresses. And you know, he, he was kind to her, but he certainly didn't respond to her in the usual manner to which he'd become accustomed. So Augustine, he, he begins to walk away and the woman is just completely confused and Puzzled, she, she imagines to herself, Augustine must not recognize who she is, so she called out after him, but Augustine, it is I. To which Augustine turned around and said to her, I know, but it is not I. That's what it looks like. Oh, God, help us to live. According to this new reality, shape, shape our thinking, renew our thinking, God, so that we might live in light of this new identity, have renewed living according to this new identity you've created in us. Oh, God, accomplish this. We can't do it on ourselves. Would you renew our thinking? Oh, please.